welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. This episode was recorded a few weeks ago at the end of summer uh, with Giles Pegram CBE, uh, who many of you will know, or many of our regular listeners will know. We've spoken with Giles before a couple of times. He's a friend of the show, and we were delighted to be able to speak with him again. He's a sage, he's an expert, he's very knowledgeable, with a huge amount of uh, fundraising expertise and experience and knowledge. And in this episode, we speak with Giles about a project he's been working on with a few others. Um, It's just about to launch, and its uh, aim is for the betterment, really, of both the charity sector, fundraisers specifically, uh, and the work that is so desperately being done right now by so many charities in this particularly difficult and demanding time. Um, This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsor, Charity People. So now, please sit back and enjoy my chat with Charles Pegram, CBE, about Project X. Hello, welcome. I'm delighted to uh, be joined again by our friend of the show, Giles Pegram, CBE. Giles, welcome back to Charity Chat. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Sam. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I always enjoy our chats, and I know our listeners do too. We spoke a few months ago now. It's hard to believe, but it was uh, it was just when COVID-19 had reared its ugly head. It was the beginning of the pandemic. We talked about relationship building and how charities had an opportunity to build relationships with their supporters in the new environment we found ourselves in, which on the face of it, it was obviously a terrible, terrible um, catastrophe, the pandemic. And yet we were also seeing uh, fantastic goodwill, uh, compassion, and and the fundamental human desire to help um, as well in terms of uh, support of, of the NHS and of various causes. Um, last time, one thing that really uh, stayed with me, you said uh, when philanthropic muscles are stretched, they become harder. And I really, really like this. And I've, I've carried that, that with me and that, that hope um, with me uh, since we last spoke. I guess we've seen uh, this at play with some charities raising substantial funds over the last few months and, and probably building closer relationships with their supporters. Other charities, of course, are struggling to raise funds. Just thinking back to how, when we spoke back in uh, April 2020 and now, how do you think the world has changed since we last spoke? Um, I I think that's a very interesting question. I I am now speaking on my own behalf. This is a personal view. I'm not overly optimistic. Um, When we spoke six months ago, we were entering the pandemic. A couple of months ago, we thought we were coming out of it. Just two weeks ago, uh, I mean, today being September the 25th, 2020. So two weeks ago, we were told to uh, start going back to work. Uh, we need to support the businesses in the town centres. Um, we had the eat out to help out scheme, etc., etc. Everything we were told by the government was that we were going back to normal. And I just think in the last two weeks, the whole thing has changed. Um, we yesterday introduced new restrictions. Um, before that, we had local lockdowns. Uh, it started with Leicester. Um, I don't know how many there are now, but there were six or nine at one point. Um, and now there are restrictions across the country. And if so much has changed in the last two weeks, 
I don't know how much is going to change in the next two weeks and the next two months, etc. And I have a fear that we could be heading towards a second lockdown. And I think that even when we come out of that, COVID's still going to be with us. So you could still have um, local lockdown. And the thing about local lockdowns is if you're planning an event, um, you plan it weeks in advance, and suddenly 48 hours before the event, you know, that you go into lockdown, the event has to be cancelled. So that makes organising events very hard. And then the shops, um, the trading companies of charities have, who have shops, um, have fairly tight margins. And if um, at any one time 20% of them are closed because of a, a regional lockdown, um, the shop volunteers, who are mainly elderly, are, are forced to isolate. Um, shops have to have reduced opening hours because of uh, cleaning the premises and quarantining the goods. Um, people are less likely to go into the shop um, because they're scared of, of COVID-19 and, and shopping at a charity shop is something that you, you browse, it's not essential shopping. So suddenly the kind of model for shops um, becomes broken. So I, you know, I, I think it's a tough world for fundraisers. And uh, as you said at the beginning, there are some charities that are seeing a lot of success but there are some charities that aren't. And I feel there are some charities that could be doing more. My, my experience of being a fundraiser, I think it's fairly typical that we, we're hopeful creatures, that we, have, we, we rely on our, our ability to kind of look towards a um, kind of solution-based approach to getting things done we need the funds to get things done to make the world a bit better or make help our beneficiaries and it, it is hard to still have that mindset i think amongst all of the uh, the bad news that we we're constantly hearing uh, relating to the pandemic and the impact that's having on people and yet i suppose part of our role maybe in this new world is to kind of find ways of hoping despite the terrible situation we're in and not just for ourselves and for our causes, but also for a wider public. The sector, as it is, we have a, a role in helping society to get out of the terrible anxiety of being in a pandemic. I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to come back in a minute to, to, to the optimistic scenario, because, because despite all that I've said about the world in the future, I am actually also an optimistic fundraiser. But I worry that some charities have not been um, tapping into, um, I, I, I'd forgotten when philanthropic muscles are stretched, they become uh, stronger. Uh, but I think a lot of charities haven't been um, engaging with their supporters. They haven't wanted to bother them when they've been so busy with COVID. Um, fundraising staff who build relationships with donors have been furloughed. So there have been all kinds of reasons why um, some charities have not been engaging with their supporters. I know that over the last few months, Giles, you're always busy. And again, you know, for that reason, I'm so grateful, uh, as I'm sure our listeners are, that you, you continue to, uh, to join us uh, for our, our charity chats. Um, over the last few months, I know you've been busy, and I wanted to ask you about this particular project you've been working on, which I'm intrigued about. 
would you mind telling us what is Project X? <laughs> Project X. Um, okay, well, I mean, I mean, the first thing it is, um, let me paint the optimistic scenario, because as you've said, charities that have been engaging with their supporters and engaging with their supporters well, have been seeing phenomenal results. And the optimistic part of me is saying that if we can engage with our supporters, if we, the supporter experience uh, special interest group of the IOF, um, can help people engage with their supporters, then we can see almost unbelievable results. It's not the answer, but it could be some way of mitigating um, the disaster that's affecting charities. So Project X, which now has a title as of yesterday, which is something like fundraising during COVID, how the supporter experience can help you navigate the pandemic. And what we're about is that back in July, a group of us, um, me, Angela Clough, Richard Turner, decided to work on two possible scenarios. One was the best case scenario that we continue with um, easing lockdown, but also looking at a worst case scenario, which at that point we didn't think we'd be looking at. And the whole idea was that we produced a, an online booklet, promoted it heavily, and then a week later did a webinar, maybe 5,000 people, three, um, that actually gives practical guidance of how to use the support experience to give your supporters a good experience so that they, they give more. That sounds fantastic. I, I know that we've spoken before, um, I can't remember if it was the last episode we did, episode 84, one of the previous episodes, where um, you, you talked about you know, if you were a, well, you are a supporter of a charity and that charity closed down and, and didn't ask you for, for help, you'd be outraged, you know. And, and Absolutely. Course, I Absolutely think a lot, of us, a lot of us would be. And I suppose, I suppose it's because we, we are kind of symbiotic, aren't we, in terms of the charity only works if the supporters can help it. But also it gives something back when it's done well. And this is, I know you, you've talked at this at length, so I'm kind of regurgitating what you've said to me in, in the past, probably badly. But, uh, but you, you've made it clear to me that we exist to give supporters a, a means of um, making the world a bit better. And, and part of their identity is therefore tied in with the charities they're supporting. So, of course, it would feel like an affront if um, suddenly a charity didn't you know, say, we need your help. Well, um, Sam, uh, you've articulated that brilliantly, and uh, I, I wish all fundraisers thought exactly the same as you. We exist to help beneficiaries, but as part of that, we exist to help supporters, or to give supporters, a method of making the world a better place, as you've said. But I think a lot of fundraisers still think of fundraising about persuading people to give, and that they don't really want to, and therefore in a time of COVID, we shouldn't bother them. And there are other fundraisers, and this is something that I've been talking in my presentations for years, other fundraisers see fundraising as inspiring people to want to make the world a better place by giving to the cause and feeling good about it. And if you take that view of fundraising, then I suggest that we as fundraisers have a duty to engage with our supporters, to enable them to help us help our causes. And that, that way, we shouldn't be not engaging with them. We should be engaging them even more, telling them about the problems that we're facing, telling them um, about the difficulties, and then 
encourage them to give. But then people say to me, oh, but they can't afford it, that they're, they're in trouble. And that is right. You know, we hear every day about thousands, tens of thousands of people being made redundant. But there are a huge number of people who are not better off. Sam, can I ask you a personal question? Please. Are you as well off as, as you were or, or are you now much worse off and struggling? I've got, I've got to be honest. Yeah, we, you know, my household, my wife and I have been fortunate that we've both been working throughout the, uh, the uh, pandemic. Though I was, I was furloughed for a few weeks, but I, I pay a lot of money usually for my travel into London every day. And I saved that. So it kind of cancelled the other thing out. And of course, we haven't been going out as much. I suppose the only, the only caveat to this, you know, we, yes, I think the answer is yes, we are as well off as we normally were. The only caveat, I guess, is that we are probably putting more into our savings. Anything left over, uh, we are putting that because there's that kind of residual kind of worry about, well, we have a job in a six months time. But yeah. Well, you're being very sensible. I'm afraid I'm not. I don't have the travel problem that you do, but I used to go out drinking to the wine bar. I'd go out uh, to the restaurant. I'd go out to the theatre. All of that has stopped. So actually, in terms of cash available, I'm better off now than I was before the pandemic. And rather than put money into savings, I'm actually putting the money into charities. So I'm giving more to the charities that I support. Uh, when people I know and colleagues are doing um, things for charity, I always... Uh, sponsor them. If any of your listeners get, uh, are doing something, get in touch with me and I promise I'll support you. Uh, I promise. Um, because, because I want to help. I, 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 you know, compassion is spreading as fast as the virus. I want to do my bit to, to help charities not have to cut their services. So that's in a way why I exist and why I'm doing this and why I'm doing Project X. It's, it's an interesting point. I was talking to my wife about this uh, the other day and we, we talked about we, we, not, we, probably, we haven't calculated completely because we haven't factored in the ad hoc £20 here, £20 there to support uh, friends who are doing challenge events and things like that. Although, of course, that's dried up for them recently. Uh, but we were saying we, we want to be, um, be a couple that gives 2% back to charity as a minimum. And I, we chose 2% just because it was a little bit more than we, what we identified as what we were typically giving in a year. Interestingly, I haven't found uh, there to be fewer of my colleagues and friends doing um, things that they want me to sponsor. So I recently sponsored um, somebody who was walking from John O'Groats to Land's End, but doing it round her garden. Right. Um, and, and other people, I mean, the 2.6 challenge had all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. People being very innovative in creating virtual events. So I, I do think there's that. I think people are being creative because you, know, you, you said fundraisers were optimistic. They're also creative. We're also creative. Um, and people are finding ways, ways around it. But the most important thing, uh, it seems to me, is actually engaging with your supporters. Everyone on your database is, is a potential partner in your mission. And if we think like that, then I think it causes us to behave differently. For uh, charities of varying sizes, obviously the majority of charities in the UK are classed as small charities, but of all, all charities, all sizes, all causes, are there some general points you can give to them in order to harness this human desire to help that we've seen 
throughout the pandemic? Okay, well, well the first thing I would urge people to do is to um, go online. Sorry, if they're members of the Institute, you'll be sent the um, R output. If you're not a member of the Institute, go online to the Institute and, and download it. But uh, what we're doing is we we've got six principles and under each of the six principles, there are specific actions for people to do that will be relevant to small charities, large charities, local charities, national charities. So we, we want to give practical tips. Uh, do, you, do you want me to give some examples? Please, that'd be useful. Yeah, thanks. Tom. Okay, so, so, so in, in terms of the principles, um, one of the principles is start with the needs of your supporters, not the needs of your organisation. Uh, how have your supporters' lives been impacted by the coronavirus? How are they feeling? What are their challenges and their concerns, their hopes and fears? And another one of the principles is ask yourself, every time you're communicating with a donor, what experience is the donor having right now? And then just to give you seven, I'll do it very quickly, seven specific actions. Put your current schedule of communications on hold. It was created in another era and the world had just changed dramatically. As I said, consider every person on your database as a potential partner in your mission. Get your SMT and trustees committed. You need to show them that extraordinary sums of money can be raised if the organisational mindset shifts. Challenge any incorrect internal assumptions among staff or trustees that now is not the time to ask supporters to give. Tell your supporters what your beneficiaries, your cause and organisation face and then tell them how they can help. Um, some supporters won't be able to give, so acknowledge that. Uh, offer people payment holidays, offer people the opportunity not to give and say that's absolutely fine at this time. But then tell people, if you can give, please give as much as you can. And, and then finally, and this seems to be important, it is that we're urging charities to inspire and motivate their fundraisers. They should be investing in their fundraisers, not just investing time, but members of the senior management team and trustees going to fundraisers at the, the, their desks and saying, you know, thank you, you're doing a great job, you know, you're, you're really helping. Uh, inspire fundraisers to, to want to work harder and, and better. So those are just seven of the actions, but there, but there are probably about 35 of them, and, and all of them will be in the booklet, and all of them will be on the online webinar. That's my sales pitch for Project X. <laughs> well, it's, it sounds like a really inspiring document, actually, and obviously we'll, we'll have the link to it on our website as well. Oh, thank you, um, thank you. And maybe it might be something we can, we can follow up on as well, because I'm sure we're going to get listeners uh, contacting us to ask questions or, or to query um, how, they can, how they can make it work for them. What we're currently doing is collecting really good case examples of people who've been using this approach and doing it well, because the, the words on the page need bringing to life, and they, they get brought to life when people talk about what they've actually done in their small organisation, their large organisation, how it's made a difference. So we'll be focusing on the case studies. We, we talked about fundraisers, Giles, and, and obviously we're, we're aware of the, the difficult time that fundraisers are having. They've got limited resources. They might have had resource reduced in terms of uh, fundraising teams might be on furlough or at least partial furlough. Also, the existing resources are now you might have one or two fundraisers in the team who are trying to cover everything. With that in mind, how can charities make the most of this guidance, this new guidance to provide the best supporter experience at this time? 
Okay, well, I want to challenge your, your fundamental assumption that fundraisers are, are going to have fewer resources. And my guess is, if, if there's a worst-case scenario, then SMTs and chief executive officers and finance directors and services directors are going to be focused on the very existence of their organisation, how to cut, what to cut, uh, how to reorient uh, or, um, their charity, their organisation. And so our work is aimed at fundraising directors and trying to give them the ammunition to go to their SMTs and say, you know, you may be cutting here, there and everywhere, but don't cut in your fundraising spend. And there's some lovely quotes, you know, that, that, that from advertising gurus, in normal times, you should invest in marketing. In a crisis, you must invest in marketing. And, and, and in the commercial world, there is this sense that most areas of a charity and an organisation are cost centres, that they simply cost money. Fundraising is a profit centre. We want to approach fundraising directors and give them the ammunition to go to their SMTs, to go to their CEOs, and say, don't cut your fundraising, actually invest in fundraising so we can give support for better experience, raise more money, and enable you to cut fewer services. Now, to me, that seems like a no-brainer, but you started with the assumption that fundraisers are going to be working with, low, with um, fewer resources. I, I want charities not to think that way. I, I want charities to invest in fundraising. And one of our principles is invest in fundraising. We're giving people some very specific actions to help them do that. So I guess the, the, the flip side is, if you, if you really want to provide uh, the best possible support experience, which will give you the best chance of raising the funds that you need to survive or, or excel in terms of supporting your beneficiaries, you need to keep on or invest in fundraising. Yes, absolutely. Uh, keep on or invest and, and preferably invest. I mean, as you know, I was appeals director at the NSPCC for 30 years. Um, and in 30 years, we went through all kinds of crises. And I remember times when we were, um, you know, we were told by our, our SMT, we must cut 10% of our expenditure across the board. Um, and it seemed sensible. But I had to argue, for goodness sake, don't cut 10% of fundraising, because if you keep the, that 10% in fundraising, we can raise more money um, to help you not have to cut the services, but rebuild them. So it is fundamental that fundraising directors can actually make those arguments in SMTs, because it will be hard, because CEOs will be thinking about cuts, and fundraising directors are coming along and saying, oh, we want you to spend more money on fundraising. And the CEOs can say, you must be mad. Um, and we need to give the, the fundraising director and the fundraisers the ammunition to go to their SMTs and say, no, don't uh, stop investing in fundraising, invest in fundraising. So that's the, the main message of, of Project X. before about support experience and investing in uh, in terms of time and in the right approach to give the best supporter experience but Giles what examples do we have that this actually works we have loads and that's what we're trying to build up now for uh, the webinar and the online booklet but just to give you two examples a colleague of mine Damien O'Brien in Ireland advised one of his charities and they sent out a mailing saying we know times are difficult, you know, if you can't afford it, do please cut back your direct debit. 
Uh, but if you can afford it, please give or add to your direct debit, uh, increase it. For every one person who reduced their direct debit, 100 people increased it. And that for me is phenomenal. 100 increasing for every one decreasing. That's incredible, it's isn't it? It's almost unbelievable. One of my clients, Freedom From Torture, there was a mailing they were going out that was their routine mailing as part of their routine plan. And I said, stop, stop it. Make it a, a mailing about how COVID-19 is affecting your cause. And they rewrote it over almost overnight, probably over two days, sent it out, and they got more money in six days than they would normally expect in six weeks. So the, the, and there were many others. These are phenomenal successes of where people, they, they want to make a difference and we have to enable them to do so and not furlough the big fundraisers that can engage with them. It's mad. And you've got, you, you work with so many organisations, Giles, and obviously you've got all these years, these decades, I don't want to age you, but you've got, and you said it with <laughs> decades of experience, um, the highest levels of, of uh, fundraising. Um, is this your brainchild? You, you, you mentioned before you, you've been working on this project with a number of people, have you? Uh, well, the, the key people have been Angela Clough, who I hope people know. She's a fundraising consultant. She was my deputy at the NSPCC. And Richard Turner of uh, SolarAid. Um, but because we've got quite good networks, uh, we've got a lot of people to contribute to this. So... So some of the best names in the sector that you'll know, Ken Burnett, Mark Phillips, uh, Joe Jenkins and others, they're, they're all involved um, in helping to peer review our work, give us case studies, et cetera. So this is, this is a big initiative with, with a lot of, of good people behind it. Charles Pegram, thank you again for contributing to Charity Chats. It's no problem, Sam. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to promote Project X. Um, it's, it's really good of you. Cheers. big thank you to Giles Pegram CBE for sharing his wisdom and insights into the supporter experience and all the work that he, Angela Clough and Richard Turner have been doing on their recent supporter experience guide titled Fundraising in the Time of COVID-19, How the Supporter Experience Can Help You Navigate the Pandemic. Check this out on the Chartered Institute of Fundraising's website or find the link on our website, charitychat.org.uk. There's loads of good stuff in there. This is, of course, a crucial time for many charities with both a shortfall in some fundraising areas and increased demand for many services that they provide. Giles was on the money in his prediction back in September about the likelihood of another lockdown. We find ourselves in one now, and it's really hard to see when things will get better for charities and for everybody. But I would say that I was inspired by Giles and what he said. I, like you, want to make a better world too. And perhaps the thing we can each do now, both as a consumer and as a charity worker or supporter or volunteer, could be the beginnings of a more robust foundation for future giving and the creation of that better world. My favourite of Giles's quotes in this interview was that everyone on your database is a potential partner in your mission. When it's put like that, how can you not seek to enlist their support in both a respectful and compelling way? Like all worthwhile things, this takes courage and a willingness to try something new. Giles mentioned charities offering payment holidays, asking supporters how they are and thinking of new authentic ways of building bonds with those who may need you as much as you need them. 
Giles also said that fundraising is a profit centre, not a cost centre. Charities need to keep on investing in their fundraising and fundraisers. This could be both monetary and also in efforts to communicate internally as well as externally. Remember that your charity's staff and volunteers are also your partners in your mission. Thank your fundraisers. Inspire them to do better. Now, this comes at a time where organisations may be thinking about taking advantage of the government's extended furlough scheme. I hope those with the power to do so will take heed of Giles's advice here and keep the fundraisers fundraising if you have the means to do so. So, dear listener, thank you for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear either way. Please get in touch with us through the website charitychat.org.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for the beautiful website design. Check it out, charitychat.org.uk. Forest of Fools for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it from me. Keep doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.